0: So we do have a line of sight to actually really think about these things now, right? for these things coming together in a way that we can think about. So really radical ideas such as, uh, instead of just curing cancer, to really understanding how the underlying biology works to cause cancer and prevent that, right? And so instead of going therapies that target the effects of of cancer, to actually be able to go after creating technologies that prevent the actual process of uh, cancer from happening in that way.
1: Welcome to Fringe FM the podcast that explores the edges of human understanding and looks at the technologies, trends, and societal norms shaping our collective future. Here the world's top minds share their insights and predictions on the convergence, direction, and ethics of exponential technologies transforming life as we know it. You can learn more and stay up to date at fringe.fm. Mark Andreessen, founder of the famed Andreessen Horowitz venture firm, coined the phrase, software is eating the world. And I think we could definitely say throughout the 80s, 90s, 2000s, and even up to today, this has certainly been the case. Today, however, we're moving into a new century, a century dominated by biotech, synthetic biology and the computational forces controlling life. And today we've got a fun interview in that vein. We've got Ramphis Castro on the program. Ramfis is the co-founder of ScienceFest, a VC fund focused on hard tech and life science companies that can impact a million plus lives worldwide. It can't just make money, it just has to have major impact. And he's focused on funding radical science companies in the US. He was invited in 2016 along with Barack Obama on the historic trip to Cuba. And he's done a ton when it comes to both Cuba and Puerto Rico in terms of encouraging startup and entrepreneurial activity to improve the ecosystems and build the the economies. Ramfis is a really interesting guy looking at how we can optimize and grow the university landscape when it comes to creating exponential technology that transforms all of our lives. Speaking of which, in today's episode, we discuss why AI is so important for biotech, how trade and politics affect economies, economics, and politics, what areas of synthetic biology are the most promising for investors, why impact investing will dominate the next generation, how Cuba's embracing capitalism and what the future of startup ecosystems holds, why science and deep tech are so underfunded, and why CRISPR is such a promising technology to cure incurable diseases. And we'll jump to Ramfus in a sec. But first, I had an ask for you guys. If you haven't left a review yet for Fringe FM, please take 30 seconds to do so. We put countless hours into every one of these episodes, researching, scheduling with guests, production, post-production, going through the actual interview itself to make sure that it is as valuable as possible for you guys if you could take 30 seconds to go to fringe.fm itunes and leave a review that makes it all much more worthwhile for us it helps us in ranking higher in itunes and our goal is to impact as many individuals worldwide as possible so that we can really change things, really shake things up and build a future that's driven by innovators and creators. We need your help to do it. We need to help folks like you make a bigger impact on the world. Fringe.fm slash iTunes. And if you love what we're doing, consider supporting Fringe FM on Patreon. You can find us at Patreon.com slash Supporters of the program who pledge over $5 a month will receive bonus content and typically weekly bonus episodes directly to your iTunes feed so that You're able to listen to even more great stuff. We're trying to put out the best of the best to keep you guys learning, living, and becoming better versions of yourself, more educated, and more awesome. Because we think that's what it takes to become a successful person and to really, really move the needle in meaningful ways. If you think what we're doing is moving the needle, and you want to support us as opposed to a lot of those publications out there that will try to sell you on a Casper mattress or something you don't really need, and just try to convince you to buy X Y Z junk, then please visit Patreon.com/FringeFM support us there $5 a month. It means the world to us. It's incredibly important. It'll help us keep the lights on and help us continue to produce this program. If it's valuable for you, you need to put your money where your mouth is, so to speak, and help us grow. And please support independent media that's trying to better the world without just selling you a better toothbrush. And now I give you Ramphus Castro. As you can probably tell, I'm pretty big on health, longevity, and human optimization. That's why I'm pumped to tell you about our special 10% off offer from Onnit, the brainchild of UFCs, Joe Rogan, and Aubrey Marcus for elite performers. They're running a Willy Wonka style prize giveaway where everybody gets a golden ticket. Everybody wins on every order of Alpha Brain, a super nootropic stack that they sent me. I love it with my morning coffee, and it comes with the potential to win an all expenses paid grand prize round trip for two to Onnit's hardcore headquarters in Austin, Texas, $1000 store credit, $500 cash, and more. Plus, again, every bottle of Alpha Brain comes with a special bonus from the Onnit team. Just visit disruptors.fm Alpha to save 10% off Alphabrain or anything else from their awesome store. Again, disruptors.fm slash onnit if you want hardcore subs to live a high-performance life. Today's episode is brought to you guys by my 15-step guide to scalable, Series A-worthy growth and marketing. If you're building a startup aiming for a billion-dollar outcome or a solopreneur looking for a sustainable six-, seven-, or eight-figure business, Get my free guide, which you can grab at mattward.io slash free, which walks you through the best, most proven tactics to acquire and retain customers applicable for freelancers up to Fortune 500. If you want to grab that, plus bonus hacks and tips to build your business and more, visit mattward.io slash free. And if you need help or ever want to grow your business faster, I coach a handful of hardcore winners building businesses I believe in. You can reach out right on the site, mattward.io for more. And now, let's get on with the episode. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other things, not because they are easy, but because they are hard. So I wanted to get you on the program because of what you're doing with Science Vest, essentially looking at investing in companies and in ideas that typically would not get funding. So talk me a little bit through that, and then we'll dive a little bit deeper into your story.
0: Sure, sure. So Science Vest is a first check deep tech venture capital fund, uh, impact only. So we, we focus on breakthrough core technology companies uh, that change the way something is done right now that are typically commercializing uh, intellectual property from universities. And the thesis came about as part of my work as a Kauffman Fellow for trying to figure out the, solve the funding gap for science uh, around uh, supporting very early stage core breakthrough
1: technology companies. Why is there such a large funding gap for science? Is it the time frames? <sighs>
0: not really. So that's changed quite a bit uh, from the way things are done before. I think you've seen some of the changes in terms of things that we take for granted in startups in terms of the lowering cost of uh, cloud computing, the lowering cost of storage uh, to areas of deep technology around synthetic biology uh, and biomanufacturing, cost of genome sequencing, those kinds of things. Definitely has pushed forward what's what's the opportunity that's available for founders to start companies earlier. But what's the the biggest challenge by far uh, is not from investors, from these founders having the right kind of partners uh, on the capital side and understand early enough how to be helpful at that stage. So everybody tends to see these companies as outside of their core area of expertise. So everything is too early for most uh, investors, even though they the, these companies uh, are, don't necessarily have regulatory risk, or they're doing something that when you compare from a risk-adjusted basis into uh, other companies uh, in the space, it's just the opportunity is much larger.
1: Basically, they're transformational for the nature of reality, a lot of these type of companies. And yet, because they are so transformational it takes a ton of time and money to get them to market
0: no it's not the time and money it just it requires a particular set of expertise to get there right the team that you have to build around yourself to do that is is a little bit different and it's typically outside of the core expertise of how most investors feel that they can be specifically helpful I think we can kind of dig into that a little bit yeah
1: definitely what uh, what areas are you most excited about
0: so definitely the the intersection of computational resources uh, and biology right that mix of so think of it as the the drug Discovery uh, for for uh, using AI, right? Those those kinds of opportunities. Uh, think of also around synthetic biology and biomanufacturing, right? Like creating custom custom chemicals for. Uh, specific applications, and then how does that change? So, for example, you know, around you know the fragrance industry, right? Companies like Ginkgo BioWorks, right? Those kinds of are examples of companies that are just extremely exciting, and, and there are opportunities now that uh, were not at were not really possible since 20 years ago.
1: And that's primarily due to the cost of compute coming down, and then the cost of genome sequencing coming down. Uh,
0: there, there's a mix of things that make this that are enabling technologies, but, but think of a, a lot of all these trends coming together, right? So AI, machine learning, uh, access to computing, cloud computing. the integration, the better understanding of some areas of biology as well and all these areas coming together in a cross discipline way. So now you have professionals uh, that essentially grew up with the internet and with a lot of these different technologies. So they might be a hardcore biologist with uh, extremely strong uh, computer science skills as well.
1: Is the 21st century going to be defined by biotech and synthetic biology like the last was by compute and mechanical power? That's a great question.
0: I definitely think that that is, that is one of the areas that I'm most excited about, right? the opportunity for that to be the case for. So we do have line of sight to actually really think about these things now, right? for these things coming together in a way that we can think about. So really radical ideas such as, uh, instead of just curing cancer, uh, to really understanding how the underlying biology works to cause cancer and prevent that, right? And so instead of going therapies that target the the effects of, of cancer to actually be able to go after creating technologies that prevent the actual process of cancer from happening in that way. Yeah, let's, yeah. Wear a
1: hel- let's wear a helmet while we ride the bike versus fixing the head afterwards.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. That's exactly, that's a great metaphor.
1: It's incredible how backwards the industry is, but I'm I'm very excited to see some of the things that are happening. What I get a little bit worried about with with that space specifically is, is trying to come up with technical solutions without addressing the underlying actual problems, which is typically nutrition and exercise. I've seen I've seen some really compelling stuff to say cancer is primarily a metabolic disease. So, so
0: I think that's where we we all just generally to be careful because it, the the area and going back to my background, right? I'm computer engineer by training, and my partner more on the biotech side. Uh, is that the biology, the understanding of the underlying biology? We still have a long way to go in a lot of areas. Right. So, think of a lot of things are more black box related than the specifics. We, 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 you know, biology, biology does not behave like computer code, where you can tell it what to do, and actually, you know for a fact they'll always work in that very specific way. Uh, it's a lot more complicated than that, which is where the opportunity is for a lot of these technologies, like uh, AI and others, uh, to permeate the space so that we can even better understand just the basics of how biology works and how other aspects of, of that biology work together. So think of more genomics and proteomics and some of these areas where it's not enough to know how some of the biology works, but how does it work with you and your specific makeup? And what does that mean for how we're building and designing and thinking about how we're going after some of this, these potential solutions?
1: How, do, how should scientists think about move fast and break things? Like if you invest in the company that accidentally creates a CRISPR plague, we, we have some trouble.
0: Yeah. Uh, so I think I think that's where the core science matters a lot, right? Like we fundamentally, in our case, uh, we start with the science. First, or you really want to understand what's what's going on, who's behind it, who's actually got it. So most of the companies we back, the funders that we work with, uh, this is their life's work and their advisors. It's their life's work as well. So the the expertise around a particular area of knowledge, you know, they, it is at the the edge of what humans know. Period. And it's an extremely hard space to operate in. Uh, and just a scientist, you know, from an ethics standpoint, uh, everybody does the best that they can with the tools that we have. So be mindful of uh, what are the consequences and what are the outcomes are something that uh, they are constantly thinking about. And something we also look for uh, deeply. We care about deeply for the founders that we support, right? We want founders that are thinking about this. That's part of their their driving mission is to really understand the potential unintended consequences of what they're building and the drives of why uh, and all these things. So yeah, you're absolutely right. Uh, There are things to worry about. It's very difficult. It's very very difficult, I wouldn't say. It's almost impossible to know what the potential unintended consequences might be for enabling technologies that we have now, right? It's just like talking about social media and internet addiction now where, you know, it was not obvious necessarily 20 years ago, or maybe all of us on the open source side, that, that that would be the case.
1: And now things are moving significantly faster, but that is also, that is technology. How do you deal with universities who are, can oftentimes be a bit of IP whores in terms of scientists create something incredible and then the university wants to steal it?
0: So I think I think the, the, the challenges for universities, and that's an area that is not talked about enough that we all need to work together on, is, is really to help the universities understand that the best outcome for them is that the founders, and the scientists that created this knowledge that actually want to build companies around it is how you create wealth for the university uh, as well, right? When you think of the largest or most well-known universities, they are a part of uh, some of the iconic companies that are spun out from, from their research labs. Uh, and then the, uh, the alumni understand the help that they receive from the university. So it is in the university's best interest to help their uh, potential entrepreneur scientists to spin out technology so that when they make it, hopefully some of them will make it, uh, then they come back and build them, you know, a new bio lab or a new engineering lab, which we see all the time. Uh, some of the larger campuses, so so it's something to rethink for universities. To rethink their position. Many of them are, uh, and they understand the pressure that they're under, uh, and they know that their model for licensing uh, in the way that they did it do, do not does not work for them.
1: Yeah, basically, it's a dying model based off of a monopoly. How do you think yeah. about how do you think about scientists and researchers? They they kind of have two routes. They can go the academic university route and try to create IP and later possibly commercialize it or find an entrepreneur to do so, or they can go directly the startup route and then try to. Create create a business, like a 23andMe style?
0: Yeah. Uh, I think, I mean, for scientists, it, it really depends. There are different, different motivations for, for different types of scientists. Uh, so, some of them, and and, and I, I divide them in two buckets, right? I mean, the basics for research and, and we need more of everything, period, right, around all kinds of, of fields of science. Uh, and 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 that's required. That has a very long, long-term horizon to really create this, and to not just think about the the uh, core kind of, you know, t- create the TCPAP protocols back in the day and operating systems and kernels like these kinds of really core enabling technologies on one side and also on the biology side and then applied science right how do you take something that actually works uh, and you think about how does that apply to real something a real problem in the real world uh, and and scientists can jump from back and forth right I have, we have some that are really keen on the research side and they that's where they're best at and some other members of the team are really uh, strong on the commercialization aspect but you need both right you need really strong research uh, focused uh, scientists that can really lead through those teams and scientists that understand why it matters to the to the greater good
1: for humanity. Speaking of greater good, what should be open sourced? Like you brought up HTTP and uh, whatever the other one was, which were great internet protocols where the creators essentially earned absolutely no money and yet yeah. at the same time, how do we think about that in terms of the biotech industry going forward?
0: Well, I think that the key challenge there is around publishers right and the control of the articles so when you think about intellectual property I mean the patents when you patent something right I'm, I'm on the IP it's with my background as a lawyer when you when you patent something the idea is that you have a certain exclusivity for a certain amount of time and then an exchange you release it right so essentially most of the technology so Google's pagerank algorithm for example right and, and that's that's out there and you can think about the same thing for, for biology so the papers especially the papers right the IP is IP like but the papers themselves, for that to be accessible to everyone in an, in an, e- in an easier fashion, uh, is definitely where we should be trending and, and what we should be discussing, right? So, like open, you know, open publications and sort of open sourcing. Those data sets uh, that enable the research, so that others can can leverage that. So that a lot of that is is out there and happening, and there's a lot of cross pollination and collaboration across scientists. Uh, the key challenge is around some of the access to the papers for those from outside academic institutions, who may not have access to the the publishers themselves.
1: Also, what gets published? So you look at big pharma, and they'll take a drug, they'll try to guess what it does, they'll test out people to find the perfect people for the test. They'll run four tests; one of them will be successful, so that's the only one they publish. How do you think about how do you think about the ethics? Typically, the pharma industry has been incredibly dirty and mercenary. How do you think about the biotech industry to avoid making those mistakes while still making money?
0: So, I think on the on the biotech side, I mean, it's a huge, massive, sort of global industry, and I think kind of we can go into like oh, wait, But the, the sort of biotech version of that is that a lot the a lot of the industry understands that a lot of the innovation is happening outside of their core research facilities, right? So, if you think about kind of what they're focused on in research is, et cetera, and kind of where they're focusing resources, they understand now that they need to partner with uh, startups and companies. Uh, to be able to access some of that. Uh or innovation, uh, and then for them to focus on what they do best, right, which is sort of scaling up those kinds of operations and other aspects of that research and industrial R&D and some of those aspects. So, so it's really around collaboration and, and, and improving uh, and streamlining more about how that process works, which a lot of them are moving in that direction, right? we, we talk about New York and, and, and Silicon Valley elsewhere, uh, where you have a lot of these programs coming online to facilitate that, like the J-Labs, right? We have uh, strong collaborations between industry and startups for the purposes of these startups to leverage corporate resources. And, and it works the other way around. IndieBio, right, which is opening a, a new campus in New York, uh, Creative Destruction Labs opening a campus in New York. I'm um, with uh, collaboration with NYU, I believe. So th- those are happening where the industry understands that there's a huge opportunity for doing more collaboration. And the startups, their ethos is around. Uh, sharing, right, and collaborating—it's uh, it's a lot of that. So, for paying forward mentality, um, but there's obviously a long way to go. Um, and in terms of having better access to everything for everyone at all times, it's—it's—it's it's, it's a tricky, tricky space to navigate.
1: What about topics for research focus? Most of the most of the funding is coming from grants. A lot of it from the government, which means if you want to tackle something potentially controversial you may just not get funded like to do the MDMA research to do the to do the sex research to do the things that the american government doesn't want to get on the record as being something they funded
0: right I mean, that is a challenge. Uh, I think the creative entrepreneurs, I mean, they, they find a way to pursue their curiosity uh, and, and, and see where, where those different things lead. Uh, I think there just needs to be more conversation on how we fund more of everything, right? How we make that more accessible, how we uh, make it so that researchers are, are freer to pursue uh, their fields of interest across the board. Uh, and we see where the science goes, right? I think it's just a commitment to science uh, and publicly funded science and privately funded science. And there are all kinds of commitments to funding more science period. Uh, is really what's required at scale globally, right? When you think about uh, not just in the U.S. or Canada or China, but just everywhere, right? There's so much we don't know yet about everything. So really is that commitment so that we can go and research this potentially controversial areas because keep in mind, you know, those things might be controversial historically for different societal reasons now, but not necessarily uh, over time, right? And those views change. Uh, And and it really is enabling the science to push forward that allows us to actually make things maybe less controversial so that we understand more. So the controversies around data, and we can actually have discussion around real information and and real knowledge versus just opinions on how things should be and, and why things should be the way they
1: are. If you could wave a wand and fix some of the problems, what would you fix?
0: The number one by far, which is what we're focused on at ScienceVest, it is uh, around enabling more of the founders that are committed to building companies around their science to have access to that funding, right? In a way that they might not even need ScienceVest, right? Where they might just be able to do that and pursue that and invite the right partners to them uh, versus, yeah, what we discussed earlier now. So that's one key one. It's really access to capital across the board, full stop. And then the other one would be around uh, impact investing, right? So around things that matter, right? When these when companies are successful, it actually changes something for humanity, right? It's not like making the world a better place by better marketing tools, right? It's, you know, that's fine, but uh, it's not something that uh, we, we care about. It's more around, how does your core technology uh, help, you know, real people stay healthier or real people, you know, manage their, you know, their personal growth and their mental health, right? Like these things matter. And these founders should have better access to go after some of these things where right now, you know, they're competing with high end juicer, right? Of some kind.
1: You brought up China a little earlier and China is investing a hell of a lot of money into this and other spaces. How do you think about the race that seems to be building up and really the direction of all of this?
0: In my view, there's no race. The commitment, the scale, the capital, the talent, the resources uh, that China is deploying uh, at scale uh, not just the, I, I don't know about the game over. I, it's just that it is something that needs to be talked about more. the scale that we're talking about here, okay where you know the, in the US for give you an example the the Sbar funding, which is sort of you know the, the US's uh, version of their C fund for science, our, our biggest co-investor on on all basically most of our deals, you know it's 2.5 billion a year. That's you know that that's it and in China across the board there's hundreds of billions that are being deployed across a wide array of uh, interest in research and commercialization right so and that's at scale on the government side right that's not to include all the other sources of capital that there are available so it is just several orders of magnitude of what's going on there than than some of the interesting things are happening in the U S
1: and to extrapolate we we decided that this would probably be the century of synthetic biology and biotech which means this is the century that China becomes a dynasty. Again
0: again? Hmm. Uh, I don't know about China like, in terms of, of that, because there's so much collaboration, so much talent, so much of everything that's required to really get there, right? And you need all hands on deck type of situation. So you need all the sciences and labs. I mean, the core expertise on the US side and a lot of fields of science in Canada and Europe and, and Latam and everywhere, it really is on the charts, right? So it's, it's not a lack of research, firepower and talent. Uh, it really is a mix of talent and expertise for getting these things uh, to actually reach the market and, and to really make it available for everyone, right? Where everyone globally, there's a more global conversation on how this uh, innovation actually happens, and that we're we're a closer part of closer part of that discussion versus just saying, oh, you know, China will do X or Canada will do Y or U.S. It really is everybody together if we're going to have the kind of future that we, we talk about uh, that we all that we all want.
1: It is, but we have different speed limits, so to speak, in terms of morality and in terms of what we're willing to try. What are some of the stuff that's happening now in China off the record that you've heard of?
0: Uh, China, like oh, off the record? I mean, the CRISPR research is is fantastic, right? And these are following global world-class standards, right? I mean, that's something that's a misconception about what's happening out there um, is that, you know, it's what people might've found in the past. Uh, these are world-class labs. I mean, world-class contract research organizations. Some of the largest uh, of these types operate out of China, so a lot of the startups and others use them for different aspects. So it is really amazing, right? So kind of, I guess, on the of the record side, uh, it really is the, the the research, the great, well done, research that's been done on some of the core bleeding edge areas of science, like CRISPR, for example, right? genetics.
1: Yeah, it's a it's a really interesting it's a really interesting future. Any bold predictions or any myths that people need dispelled?
0: Myths. Uh, yeah, the, the thing, the number one is that. It takes it takes a significant amount of time, money, and time uh, for for these kinds of really complicated and breakthrough technologies to both get to market and to find an exit. Right? I think that is a huge, huge myth. And um, there's great data around that. There's great articles uh, around the both the biotech sector and other sectors how uh, it operates. So I'll give you an example. All of our companies when we invest, we're first check. These companies are always have a path to market through generating revenues, even though it'll take them many, many years for different regulatory. Hurdles to to go through. That's that's fine, but it doesn't mean that these guys are generating cash flow. and And a good example of that is a STEM centrics, for example, right? Like one of the largest exits in the U. S. In, in recent memory is essentially a cancer-related company, leveraging all the things that I'm discussing, right? So now everybody's on everybody's radar, and it was right in the middle of Silicon Valley, and every single investor, most of which, you know, many of which, you maybe uh, interviewed here, they just missed it. Right? It's just outside of their core expertise, but it was just sitting there, and their companies, their funders and others that, you know, they saw that, right? That, that is, that's how things are now. It's just different from where it used to be and how investing uh, used to be thought about. There's just much more opportunity just requires a different kind of lens for the investor to be able to see it and, and support those teams.
1: And it's happening faster than expected. Absolutely. What would, be, what would be an over-under timeline for when we see the first genetic doping for athletics, for performance, et cetera, in terms of some type of CRISPR or otherwise based enhancements to enhance humanity?
0: I, I'm sure, I'm sure some of that has been experimented across the board. I mean, now. Right? I mean, when you think about uh, some of the, like, you, you can even go to nutrition, right? I mean, a part of nutrition is really changing the way your biology is sort of operating. That's sort of the the, the purpose of it. So it's really extending that uh, now with what's with the understanding that we have on some areas of, of biology. So I, I wouldn't be surprised that it's ongoing. I mean, sports is sort of outside of, sort of my our, our core our field, so we, we don't really, and they, these innovative technologies for the purpose of sports uh, is not necessarily something that we, we focus as much, but more around uh, health, right? And if it has applications. To how and sports, and yes, but not for like on the performing enhancing side of, of the equation. So I'm sure it's happening. It's not something that is core to to our radar, uh, but yeah, I'm sure they're experimenting right now on all kinds of everything uh, that we've discussed um, to see what you know how to extract extra additional performance from from humans.
1: Yeah, I think it's a, it's really interesting, especially when you have the fusion of the health and nutrition side of things. If you're really yeah. optimizing, do you see unequal access headed down the line for different populations? So that's something I really
0: hope. Hope for uh, is that because these curves of costs are going down so fast across the board for everything, that my hope is that we will it would actually it would actually reach more than before right? We, we do still need to change how certain regulations have it and really changed some mindsets in terms of how certain things are able to be accessed. But in terms of cost and access, the trend is towards more access. I'll give you like an example, like for example, the Apple Watch recent upgrade into having EKG technology, right? So, and that's, you know, $500 now, I right? Think of it, maybe in a few years, it'll be maybe just a few hundred and that technology will be pervasive. But then think about the amount of data now that we're capturing from in terms of health uh, and then how that impacts the preventive measures and other access to so understand understanding biology and all these things, and then extrapolate and just keep going from there, right? So it is trending towards more access across the board because a lot of the technologies, enabling technologies, we already have a lot of access to them, right? Mobile technologies, integrated circuits, cloud computing, edge computing, all these things uh, together. The trend is towards more access, uh, not less, but we still need to talk about it more publicly so that we make sure that it's top of mind for everyone. And and they we're asking that for founders. Again, the founders that we back, and that is at the core of what they think, right? That's what they want. Uh, is really for it to reach everyone, not just to be in the hands of a few. And some of them are are just a core core part of the open source ethos, right? That they're just we we're all sort of a part of.
1: Does the open source movement make it hard to invest? Absolutely not.
0: I don't think so. So, I mean, I think Facebook back in the day proved that that's the case, right? They built the entire stack out of a LAMP stack, right? Uh, Linux, Apache, Right and, and PHP etc. Where people said, "Oh, you know, PHP you know doesn't scale." I was like, "Well, um, Facebook is based on PHP, so I don't know what you guys are talking about, right?" But people still say that, right? Because they don't know, or they're not technical as investors, right? They're not engineers, right? And, and they've never built anything, so it's hard for them to understand how could you build something that has never been done before in that way. Uh, if you never have that mindset, where it just feels like, yeah, you can actually stretch it and, and understand the technology to get it there. So, absolutely not. I mean, open source won, right? We won. I mean, and, and for context on my end, you know, I started. my Career on the open source side, uh, and I went and worked at Microsoft, uh, and then gave it to basically help them and tell them why they would lose, and they said, "Well, why don't you come and do it here?" And then you know, to come out of that and say, you know, that's amazing, but I want to help real people solve real real problems and you know, saving someone fifteen minutes of productivity it's not sort of how I wanna invest money and I was that's just a small part of Microsoft. I love Microsoft. But you know, when you think about the what happened now with, with Satya changing how Microsoft collaborates with the open source community open sourcing their CLR themselves, like their compiler. This is like at the core of Microsoft technology. Anyone can now poke around how compilers work. I mean, as an engineer, that's at the core of what you're able to build. And so, you know, 15 15, 20 years later, we won. So, mm. uh, you know, we've seen this movie, let's say, right? I mean, you can't resist, you know, builders' curiosity and builders' commitment to sharing what they build and having it reach real people. Um, you can resist, but you'll never, it's really difficult to stop. Just like this podcast and you, you know, sharing, you know, this kind of information, this does not exist, right? 10, 20 years ago, nobody would tell us the kinds of things that we're sharing now and who's going to stop us, right? So the same thing applies to a lot of these technologies and, and open source as a, as a sort of global movement and, you commitment to sharing knowledge, not just open source. I mean, we're talking papers and publishing and all these things, right? I mean, all these scientists sharing their data, collaborating. I mean, this is all pushed in the direction towards uh, more transparency, more access, more data.
1: So I want to take this a different direction now. Why did Obama bring you to Cuba?
0: Oh, so there's, there's just the story there. So the, the, the short version is, you know, when Obama announced, I'll oh, tell the story and you kind of get it going why, I guess why I divided it. I'm still trying to figure out myself. But the, the short version is when, when Obama announced that the regulations would change or the, the relations would change for Cuba, the global startup ecosystem community primarily led through Startup Weekend. I don't know if you're familiar with Startup Weekend, right? So this, you know, over the course of a weekend, you, you are able to create companies. This operates in over 600 cities around the world, everywhere from Iran to Yemen, Right, Israel's every major city or small city or small town everywhere, and that community has been a part of a Help scale uh, over over its lifetime. Now it's now a part of tech stars. You know, we all everybody talks with each other uh, and they know each other. But we did not have anyone in Cuba. So when that changed, my first my first comment to the, to the global community was, "Hey guys, you know, it sounds like there's a startup of happening. You know, who's making that happen?" And and basically, there's not just that there wasn't a response; is that there, we literally did not have someone from the community on the ground that had real communications with. Cuba, so it was really disconnected from everything, which is was not was a surprise to everyone. Um, so that meant that it was us, right? That we were going to do it. Uh, we had to do it, and we, need to, we needed to find out who on the ground had their community in mind and could share with us what they wanted that community to be and how they would. But what does that look like? What does the technical system look like from the Cuban perspective? So I I did a trip, you know, to Cuba to basically find them because I've done that all over the world. Like I, it's easier, I guess, in, in my experience, to find others that are builders and build their communities. And through 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 the network, I found a set of guys that were running run the first meetup in Cuba and they were able to navigate the the politics and the local and everything around it so that everybody understood that it was around community building. It was not about politics. And that enabled the entire global community to support them. And Alex uh, Alex Medina uh, and, and their crew, kudos to them for, for really taking the risk of, of really engaging with their community and really sharing and explaining and doing the education and everything internally and guiding all of us on, on how to build community. So we did a startup weekend. Uh, that startup weekend was very, successful just getting the word out and everybody to re-communicate and collaborate and and connecting the uh, Cuban ecosystem with ecosystems globally Uh, and from there I was, for you know, I on the ground. Everybody was talking about uh, investing in Cuba, but none had ever even been there. None, you know, were looking at what the Cubans cared about. None of them really were, uh, you know, putting their capital over their mouth mouths, actually going there and supporting founders and figuring out like how they can be helpful. So I think a part of that, you know, just went around the rounds. I know that, you know, basically a few weeks before the trip, you know, White House calls me and like, hey, you know, stand by, right? Like you, you know, you, there might be a chance for, I'd be a part of like the president's team to go down there and i was like yeah President <laughs> like, what are you gonna say no so i was like all right and and i thought it was gonna be a, a lot of people i do I i was like you know like why me and you know, i've been doing x but when we went down there you know there was a certain event around entrepreneurship and and that was the invite of both the cuban government and the u.s government right so it was a little bit different than just just going there because the u.s invites you is like you're actually vetted and invited by cuban government everybody knows what's going on and when it was there they kind of pulled us apart and we spent you know time with the president just when we were hanging out about you know what's the future of ecosystem building is about and kind of what's going on locally. And, and it was just us, the funders of tribe, I mean Shield style of um, uh, NEA at the time, and he now runs his own fund, and just a few of us. Right? So it was, yeah. That, so that's that's how that happened. That's kind of why I guess the president invited me was around, you know, actually doing versus talking. I mean, you can imagine at the time the amount of chatter around Cuba, everybody talking about everything. But then, you know, what actually, what did people actually execute on uh, on the ground and support right in terms of real companies or real innovation happening and I was lucky that you know the founders on the ground of their community you know trusted me to support them just as we ask of any founder right that we invest in like we ask them to trust us and 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 those those guys down there you know they did and we did what we say we're going to do just help them do their thing not our thing not a US thing uh, not what the president wants it's really what they want uh, and that just happens to be what we all want which is more community more collaboration you know more innovation and it worked out so
1: Was Cuba still communist at the time?
0: Absolutely. Just like China is communist, right? And Vietnam. So people who decided the most successful communist country is um, honestly kicking the US butt in a lot of ways. Um, it's communist and Vietnam as well. So people forget and, and they like to emphasize, you know, the difference around Cuba. And I was trying to share it. That's just something I wrote about is, you know, there's things that are like pro cons around it. But, you know, the Cuban uh, healthcare ecosystem is something, the healthcare system is not something people need to really worry about. It's world-class compared to across. And I'm from Puerto Rico. So for context, I'm from Puerto Rico. So we're supposed to have the best in class everywhere, global, because we're U.S. I mean, we're a colony of the U.S., right? And, and that's super controversial and whatnot. But we're supposed to have the best access in the U.S. side. And the Cubans, they just run laps around the kind of healthcare we have access access to in, in Puerto Rico same thing with education, right? Think about education at scale. They've really had, you know, they lead right? in terms of literacy rates and, and education rates and access to university, and, and they just have that. So through a communist country that's close to the U.S., so imagine if they had access to capital. Just imagine, right, and what, what they could do if they had access to the markets, if they had access just like Mexico and uh, Panama or Colombia or Brazil had, right, and we could all collaborate together with the Cubans and the Canadians and everybody to so just be like, hey, let's just build stuff and figure it out, just like every major VC a startup, or why not, is doing things in China. Why can't we have the same conversation around Cuba?
1: Uh, China, China, and Vietnam are pseudo communist in their in their structures. Cuba is much more of a, a pure communist regime for a very long time. Vietnam, yeah, I mean, is we didn't did get capitalism. into
0: like, all, the, all the politics, out, But the short version is that it's all sort of the rules of the game, how to do business, and each of those countries had their own very specific and very difficult and complicated rules to get into the Chinese market, to do the Vietnamese market. Same thing for the Cubans. There's a lot of uh, global companies are bringing out of, out of Cuba, especially now uh, through the change, but it's, uh, it's still difficult, primarily because of U.S. restrictions on, on the other international companies. So it's a very interesting topic, which we can kind of dig in if like. But yeah,
1: the, the U.S. does the same with Puerto Rico, right? Boats have to come from the U.S. to Puerto Rico, which makes everything more expensive.
0: Yeah, so that applies to ev- every island. So it applies to Hawaii, applies to Alaska, right? So it was more of like a protectionist measure on the U.S. side, which everybody is fighting against, right? The Jones Act, specifically. And that's Hopefully something that we also need to talk about. Like there's no reason why that should be the case, right? Just just change that, limited that, and let's just keep it moving. Because trade is much more complicated than just where the where the boat sort of comes from and how it needs to dock, right? Just because you change that doesn't mean that magically there will be a lot of trade going in and out from other sources into Puerto Rico and the lines and freight lines and all these things that that go with that. So it's a super interesting topic that we should talk more of. How do we enable more trade in a way that helps those that don't have access to anything to really be a part of the global innovation community? And that's what ecosystem building is all about, right? It's all these things are happening globally now versus before it was trying to be controlled or it's supposed to be Silicon Valley, but now Silicon Valley is just half uh, of VC globally versus maybe 90% just a few years ago. And that's just going to continue to accelerate because there's just much more capital. And as founders, as we're all more successful and we build funds and we help funds, and all these things, that just happens more and more, right? Uh and We see that in, in the program I run in Puerto Rico, I support in, I'm an investment committee for in Puerto Rico, Parallel 18, right? where you have companies from 60 countries going now to Puerto Rico, and now these companies, now they have funding from you know tier one VC's everywhere. Well, you know, where were they? when these companies need funding in their countries, right? Everybody talks about how they're funding things for super risky on the first check side, but it's basically YC leading the way globally at scale. And then maybe a few programs, but it's just YC, right? Really that first check for founders that don't know anybody are not going to move to the Bay or they're not going to really build it in the traditional way. They're going to build it their way. And, you know, you see that in the companies that come out of these ecosystems, like, you know, Rappi, for example, you know, one of the most highest value companies in, in Latam, you know, YC company, right? Like, where were the investors then? So... Uh, It's uh, fascinating what's happening. It's just getting faster and faster for everything, not just uh, for tech, really, it's biosynthetic. And and it's led by, you know, doers, right? Builders, entrepreneurs, and uh, operators that understand now how capital works as well.
1: And connectivity. Absolutely. So Ramfus, I think both of us would agree that we need to do a better job as a as a species, allocating capital for the the types of returns and change that we want to see in the world. Talk to me a little bit more about the impact investing side now that we lost all of that recording we just had.
0: No, um, the short version of, of what we're discussing is that the purpose the purpose of capital should be to finance the change that we all care about, period, right? That your values are aligned with your investing. Uh, on our end, that looks to me personally uh, a science vest, obviously, right? We invest in core deep technologies, but there is a lens around the UN sustainable development goals that that we care about, right? So AI for marketing tech, no, uh, AI for drug discovery for cancer research, yes. And then the impact investing side, that would apply for all kinds of uh, investments, public investments. Private investments and then specifically the private investments on everything, right? That applies to funds and what they invest in and to real estate and everything else that's that's possible there. And my view around impact is that the returns are table stakes, right? They're, they're typically when people say impact, they they immediately default to something that they don't, they don't really know about because they're just used to the financial instruments and the way finance are used to work. But now the opportunity around impact is that uh, the the we know how. A lot of these seals or other opportunities work, uh, and it's really to support more of everything across the world. Uh, new kinds of fund managers all over the world is essentially an impact investing, right? Because what they will invest in will reflect the environments that they're in. So if you invest in a fund, in a BC fund in South Africa that invests in the Pan-African region, uh, well, you can see the outcome will be companies like Andela, Right? That can be viewed under the lens of impact versus your traditional thinking of impact, that it's some type of charity or philanthropy. Uh, and the other side of that, at uh, the other end, could be everything from affordable housing and how do you redefine the models uh, around impact and how do you facilitate that capital flow from the private markets and the private wealth to these opportunities on, on the other side, right? So that's really the space that I care a lot about and focused on uh, as well.
1: And if you had a call to action for a listener, something you would want them to take away from this interview, look into a quote, et cetera, what would it be and why?
0: At the core uh, would be that for those with with the means, networks, uh, and capital to to support and, and invest in different types of assets, uh, to back things and, and companies and funds and managers and everything else that's just different, right? To really dig deep and understand the opportunities that are available now that were not available before, uh, and to trust that the change that they want to see will not look like whatever patterns they are all used to looking for or looking at. Uh, so how they view and uh, and understand those things, there's an opportunity. I would call them and invite them to really fund the change that they want to see.
1: Insanity is doing the same things over and over and expecting different results. Last yeah. question. I know you got to run. What is a bold prediction with a timeline?
0: Uh, bold prediction, I think that would be that within the next 10 years, we'll have... Yeah. Uh, a path to market for uh, real therapies that that target ending age age certain age related diseases, right, or, or ending yeah, ending age related diseases. So we'll have therapies for uh, Parkinson's, for Alzheimer's, for for different types of cancer but the focus will not be the disease the focus will be around enabling the body to operate as it did when it was younger
1: which would be incredible for all of us how, how old do you think you're going to make it any predictions
0: oh man I, I you know I wish I wish you know there's a lot to do so if if I could uh, just uh, eliminate that
1: clock that'd be amazing that would be amazing I think that's what we're all headed for thanks for coming today Ramphis sorry about the technical difficulties where's the best place for people to find you
0: best place is through Twitter uh, J Ramfist J
1: R a m p h i s awesome and we'll throw links and everything in the show notes thanks and hope you guys enjoyed this it's been uh it's been a lot of fun cheers cheers if you want more of fringe fm you can subscribe to the podcast on itunes or go to fringe.fm where you'll find tons of audio and video interviews with leaders in the fields of genetics cryptocurrency longevity ai space vr and much much more and you can follow me on twitter at it's matt ward If you enjoyed the show, please leave a quick review in iTunes to help more people discover Fringe FM.